All right, hey, what is going on? Happy Friday and welcome to Chatterbox Reds. My name is Nick Kirby. Chatterbox Reds is your daily home for live post-game shows after every Reds game on YouTube and podcasts like you're listening to right now, always available bright and early the morning after every Reds game. We are presented, as always, by Betfred Sportsbook. We have got a jammed pack show for you today. Myself and Trace Fowler discussed the big news that the Reds added outfielders Harrison Bader and Hunter Renfro off waivers. Then coming up a little later in the show, we interviewed Solly from the No Laying Up podcast. That is the number one golf podcast in the United States. Solly is a diehard Reds fan, and he joined us to talk all things Reds, including his suggestion, some potential offseason moves for the Reds that Solly thinks makes sense. Really fun interview. You will want to stick around for that. And if you stick away all the way to the end, I recapped all the Reds minor league action and previewed the Cubs series. This was the longest episode we've ever done, but I think you'll enjoy it. All right, well, the Reds were off on Thursday, but they did not get any help at all in the NL wildcard race. Both the Giants and Marlins won, the only two teams that were in action. Here's how the standings sit on Friday morning. Phillies hold the first wildcard spot, 74-59, and four and a half game cushion. Cubs hold the second wildcard spot, 71-62, and they got a game and a half cushion. And then the Giants hold the third and final wildcard spot at 70 and 64. Diamondbacks next team out. They're 69 and 65. One game back. Reds, the next team out, 69 and 66. Now a game and a half back. The Marlins, 67 and 67, three games back. But the more important news on Thursday was that the Reds added outfielders Harrison Bader and Hunter Renfro. Nick Crawl said to Mark Sheldon of MLB.com, quote, we feel we have two solid players to add to our offense and can help contribute and make our defense better in the outfield as well. There's a chance we got two guys who can help us score some more runs and get to where we need to go. Sheldon said that sources told MLB.com that the Reds made other claim attempts that were not successful Sheldon says it was not clear who else they attempted to acquire, citing league rules. Crawl could not comment with specifics on who the team tried to add. But if you do the math, the Guardians, they were one of the teams ahead of the Reds in the waiver claim order, and they added starting pitcher Lucas Giolito, relievers Matt Moore, and Ronaldo Lopez, all from the Angels. So probably those guys were who the Reds attempted to claim. All right. Here is what new Reds outfielder Harrison Bader had to say to reporters as he left the Yankees locker room on Thursday afternoon. What's your reaction to know that you're no longer a Yankee and heading to, I guess, Cincinnati? First of all, with regards to that, I, I'm very excited to be joining a club that's, uh, you know, in their position. Um, I have a lot of familiarity with not only the Reds, but the, you know, their division as well. And, and a lot of the opponents they have, I've already checked the schedule. So I'm just excited to go out there and play meaningful baseball down the stretch here. I mean, you know, we, we've experienced it, you know, with this organization. I've experienced it in my, you know, in my, you know, um, career with the St. Louis Cardinals playing meaningful baseball in September. Uh that's really important, and, and it means a lot because it's a long season. So I'm just excited to join those guys. Um, you know, some young players. I know David Bell. Um, so, yeah, on that front, I'm very excited. And, um, you know, I just want to say, too, um, I know I've kind of said it 
oh, you know, we might not get claims. So I don't really want to say goodbye firmly, but, um, you know, just uh, <laughs> uh, growing up in Manhattan, family lives in Bronxville. Um, I went to, you know, I went to Horace Mann on 242nd Street. Obviously, Yankee Stadium's on 161st Street in the Bronx. Um, you know, I never thought I'd ever play in the big leagues, let alone uh, in the Yankees uniform. And I have no idea what's to come for the future. Um, and I certainly hope it's in Yankees uniform again, uh, if that's an option. But um, we don't know what the future holds. So with that said, I just uh, it just means so much to me to, uh, to be a New York City kid playing in the Bronx uh, for the Yankees. And um, yeah, it's just really special for a lot of reasons. So um, there's just a lot of good moments. And I'm just really excited because regardless of the situation, no one can ever take the fact that I put that uniform on um, growing up in that city, which, uh, which means a lot to me and a lot of people who support the Yankees for all these years. So I'm just very, very excited and thankful for the opportunity. Um, and man, that was, uh, that, was, that was special. So I appreciate everything with you guys. And, and yeah, uh, we'll just see where it takes us. So I just wanted to say that. It's emotional for you, huh? A little bit, yeah. Uh, the game's emotional, I think. You know, we, we pour our entire heart into it every single day, you know? Um, you know, when you wake up as a baseball player, you think about the game. You don't ever think about, oh, where am I going to end up as a team? Where am I going to get traded to? This and that. Um, but, but to be going through the situation, I think, is, is good. Um, it just shows you that at the end of the day, regardless of the uniform, uh, it's all about the ball. It's all about respecting the game and taking care of your business to, to play for as long as you can and to be as good as you can. And, uh, you know, yeah, things happen behind the scenes and whatnot, but at the end of the day, getting a chance to go out there and play uh, at this level is just so special. And any kid that gets a chance to play this game at any level, just, just know how special it is. Um, so, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm happy to get to go do it now uh, in the Queen City. And uh, I'm just excited to see how it shakes out for me. I'm, I'm excited and I can't be more uh, you know grateful for everything along the way. Harrison Bader has a career 929 OPS with five home runs in 68 at-bats in his career at Great American Ballpark. Even better, Hunter Renfro has an OPS over 1,300 with eight home runs in nine games last season at Great American Ballpark. Those stats of the day are our Deep Drive of the Day, sponsored by Deep South Commodities. DSC is a leader in renewable commodities for biofuels production, specializing in used cooking oil collection, aggregation, and sales. Visit www.deepsouthcommodities.com for more information. Thanks, as always, to our friends at Deep South Commodities. Mike Ciani and Alejo Lopez were DFA'd to clear 40-man roster spots for Renfro and Bader. That means Lopez is also off the 26-man roster. The rosters expand by one pitcher and one non-pitcher today. That's Friday. Jake Fraley is expected to return from the IL to take one of those spots. Fraley just played two rehab games on Tuesday and Wednesday with AAA Louisville out in Omaha. The Reds will also get another roster spot just for Friday since it's a doubleheader, so I would expect two more pitchers to be added to the roster before the game on Friday. Some additional less exciting Reds news. Nick Lodolo was officially shut down for the season. And as mentioned yesterday, Hunter Green reported feeling ill after his great start on Wednesday in San Francisco. Green was isolated from the rest of the team. Nick Kroll said that his status for his next scheduled start is in doubt. Kroll said Thursday he should have more details today. That's Friday. That, according to Gordon Whitmire of the Cincinnati Inquirer. All right. Well, here's myself and Trace Fowler. This was live on 
Chatterbox Reds on YouTube talking about the big additions of Hunter Renfro and Harrison Bader. Nick, it happened. Can't take it away from ownership. They spent the money, man. I think there's a significant amount of questions I have with this. I don't know if you'll have all the answers to them, Nick, but let's get into it. The uh, the Reds obviously claimed off of waivers. Our guy. I'm, I'm going to say it's our guy, Harrison Bader. Our guy. Some people are saying that that might not be our guy, but you know what? He's an NL Central uh, a lover. He couldn't couldn't find his way back. He went to New York. Uh, actually loved it, it sounds like. I listened to his interview. It sounds like he loved New York, but that's beside the point. He did come back to the NL Central. And then Hunter, Run, uh, Hunter Unfro. Why am I struggling here? Anyways, your overall thoughts on it, Nick, and then we'll obviously get into kind of the what, 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 it, what, it, what does this actually mean to the Cincinnati Reds? Well, it's an exciting day. I mean, the Reds uh, are better. There's no question about that. When the Reds roll out their lineup uh, in game one tomorrow against a left-handed pitcher, they have a significantly better lineup. Does this mean... The Reds are are bona fide heading to the playoffs. No, does this probably, if we're talking percentage points, moves the Reds one or two percent closer? But they're closer, and you know what? They got closer without giving anything up. And if there's one thing that that you learn today, it's that small market teams like the Reds and like the Cleveland Guardians, they value prospects more than they value money. As they should, because at the end of the day, that's their best chance. If you really think about it, the Reds' best chance of getting guys that are very good, elite-level players that are going to allow them to win a World Series, it's going to come from homegrown talent and or prospects that they go out and get in, in, uh, through, through trade. So um, I don't think that's breaking news. It is nice, though, Nick, um, to see today a very clear sign that they, that, that ownership, quite frankly, in the front office wasn't strictly lying to our face. Um, I said it earlier um, on some programming with Chatterbox. I said it maybe yesterday. This was a this was a PR nightmare a little bit for some ball clubs because if you wanted to sit there and say that you're 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 always looking to win and uh, and earlier this this year. Nick Crawl said out loud that they had financial flexibility. That was the exact quote he uses. Again, quote financial flexibility end quote because of because of attendance he even said because of the because of the the crowds the great american ballpark had earlier this year when ellie came up they had the winning streak and then you know they were they put a hundred thousand people basically in the stadium in a weekend uh with the uh with the atlanta series he said they had some money to spend they didn't spend any at the deadline right they didn't really have any any kind of situation where they 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 utilized some cash at the deadline but they did here, and I'm thankful for it. Before we kind of get into what those two players mean, though, Nick, I have a quick question for you, and I get your thoughts on this. How many players in, I don't know if this is public knowledge or not, I've been running around with a head cut off all day. How many players do you think the Reds claimed if we don't actually know? I don't know if that's made public, but is it made public? And if it's not, how many players do you think they claimed? Well, they won't say names, and I don't think they're allowed to say like who they tried to claim. I think there's something in the CBA, which would make sense. Like you, it's probably not a good idea to say, "Yeah, we tried to get this particular guy, but we couldn't." Gordon Whitmire reported that Nick Crawl said the Reds made two additional claims. So if you do the math, who was two players that that uh, got that didn't get past the Reds? It, it had to be Lucas Giolito, Matt Moore, or Ronaldo Lopez, who went to the Guardians. 
So to me, it, it seems like the Reds claimed Renfro. They claimed Bader. They claimed Giolito. And they probably claimed Ronaldo Lopez. He was a little bit cheaper than Matt Moore. So I'm assuming if you're going that far, you probably went with the cheaper reliever. But the Reds almost, that's almost $6 million that the Reds put out. And if you're tracking this, I know when when the news initially came out that the Cleveland Guardians got all three of those pitchers, Giolito, Moore, and Lopez, everyone's like, ah, oh, damn it, Cleveland, you screwed us. Uh, they, they actually probably saved the Reds because it came out that the Marlins put two claims in. So again, do the math. That's probably Giolito and one of those relievers. And the Marlins were ahead of the Reds in the pecking order. So if Cleveland doesn't claim them, they go to the Marlins. Uh, by the way, Marlins won tonight two and a half or a game and a half behind the Reds right now. So Cleveland actually probably did the Reds a, a solid here by taking them. They're in the American League. And, and the great thing about this day, Trace, not only do the Reds get two players, none of the other teams the Reds are in competition with got a damn thing today. That's another big piece of this that that helps the Reds. Yeah, I, I, you brought that point up earlier on the uh, the old X.com app, and I, I thought about that for a minute because at first I was a little frustrated that they, they didn't get Giolito and or any relievers, and um, I'll get your opinion on the Clevenger situation here in a little bit, but it, it is interesting that you're right. There's no doubt that if the Marlins, and you even pointed this out, and I thought, I thought about this, if the Marlins had known they were not going to get those two guys and had freed up some cash for them, would they have possibly put in for Bader and or Hunter Renfro? In the, the, and, and I think that you could make a strong case as to why they would. Now, I don't know if, if, if they would have or not. Obviously, that'll always be speculation uh, unless it comes right out of the horse's mouth. But I, I'm just thankful that the Reds, not only did they put claims in, that's one thing. That's, that, that, that feels a little bit like a moral victory, right? If they put in four claims today and they all got taken, Nick, it'd be like, okay, well, they, they meant business. It just didn't work out. They got two guys that I think can genuinely help them. That's the part that I'm excited about. I think Hunter Hunter Renfro is a guy I didn't. I'll be honest. I did. I'm not saying that I was skeptical of Bob when I sat when I sat out here yesterday and uh, kind of sang their praises of spending money. They spent money and they've continued to spend money. Uh, you want to argue about where they've spent it? I, I'll keep saying that till I'm blue in the face. If you've watched this show long enough, you're probably tired of hearing me saying it. But it's true. This ownership group has spent money before. Um. And I and I expected them to spend money again. I did not think they would get Hunter Renfro because two million dollars, man, for 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 one month, I that's uh, that's kind of that's kind of decent money, man. I'm not saying that the oh go go bow down to the Castellinis. I'm not saying that, but it is good to see. Like I mean, that is nice to see. And and you know what? Like that's that's putting your money that's putting your money where your mouth is a little bit there. And then uh, the second part is the guy that obviously I was you know, having fun on internet with yesterday and last night. And, and, um, I just think that Bader is a guy that can help us. I really do. I think if he can get hot and that's what we're expecting here, right? We all know this. I would think that you would know this. This isn't a situation where we come in and we look at the back of the baseball card and say, okay, look what we get everybody. I, I don't look at it like that. I look at this as like lightning in a bottle. You get, you, this is a, this is a lottery ticket, Nick. It could, it could go one of two ways. Harrison Bader could be the best baseball player on this team for the next month. And he might be the worst baseball player on this team for the next month. I don't know. But if you watch this Reds long enough, the past two weeks, Nick, they needed something. They needed a shot in the arm. They needed somebody to come in and mix it up. And a guy that can play defense in the outfield that can run like the wind and has a chance 
to, to, to get hot. He smashes lefties. He'd be a great platoon player with a guy like Fraley. All of those, all of those types of things, when you put them together, it's a perfect fit for this Reds team. Do I think it automatically works out, Nick? Of course not. We're talking about a month of baseball, right? Look at a guy like Will Benson, Nick. You could pick a month of baseball where he's the worst player in the world, and you could pick a month of baseball where he's the he's the most valuable player in the, in Major League Baseball. So we'll see where it goes, but at least they took a chance. I, I'm really thankful for that. I think it re-energized this fan base, if anything. Um, you know, I had some fun today, and I'm I'm still imploring people to go down there tomorrow and in 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 Saturday and Sunday. It's it's a big series, Nick. I've I've said it a million times. Uh, splitting is the minimum, but taking three or four and or sweeping the Cubs is it puts this team on a whole nother trajectory. Yeah, and so looking at the just the numbers a little bit more, it seems like the Reds put up close to six million dollars worth of risks today in terms of players they were willing if every single one of them came to you. Whereas the Marlins only put up about three million dollars worth of risk, and I think if I think if the Marlins would have known that they weren't going to get any of those pitchers, I mean they had, they had re reasonable expectation to think, hey, we're the top playoff contender, that everyone's going to fall to us. And uh, I think if they would have known, I think they probably would have. But I think they they were told, yeah, we'll give you three million. That's all we're that's all we're risking. We're not risking everyone falling to us. And uh, uh, good for the Reds. Renfro does almost feel Renfro's a, a player that really makes me go, okay, hey, they're 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 really actually trying here, and, and that made me feel really good. Not just about today, not just about the next month, but as we go into this off season. All right, hey, there's a little bit of real commitment here. I'm not saying they're going to spend, and, and I guarantee it. No one, there's going to be Reds, so, a certain section of Reds fans. No matter how much they spend, they're always going to be mad. They're always going to be upset. It's never going to be enough. But I think for the the more rational Reds fans, I think there's some real reason for optimism that they may be able to reach that level that we we, we kind of expect they should at least try to get to. Uh, but Harrison Bader, guy hit five home runs in nine postseason games last year. Last year. So he's clearly capable of getting hot. Uh, Willie, I don't know. But at least you're getting an absolutely elite defender. I'll put it up here. I mean, this guy is uh, as good as it gets. I mean, 95th percentile and outs above average. Outfield jump as good as it gets. Got, got a great arm. Crazy fast. So you're at least getting great defense. No matter what, you can put him in late in the game. He can make plays for you. He's crushed lefties um, throughout his career and especially this year. And I think he's a guy that, could, that has a chance to get hot. And both of these guys, Renfro and uh, uh, Harrison Bader, have absolutely mashed a great American ballpark. So you're getting two guys, Trace, that came from tough situations. Like, could you imagine being a Yankees player this year with all the expectations that team has year after year after year? And they fail. It's got to be miserable to play in New York this type of season, right? So he's yep. getting out. He's getting out of there. Uh, it was it was hilarious. Hit his quote where he said, uh, "Getting to go to Cincinnati to play some meaningful baseball, leaving the Yankees." That that just made me that made me have a big smile on my face. But Renfro the same way. You play for the Angels with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, and you completely collapse. They went ridiculously overboard at the deadline and looked like idiots for it. That situation's got to be ugly. Both of those guys are getting out of bad situations, and they're coming to a situation where you're in a playoff race, but you're also in a playoff race where it's not really all that much pressure. This isn't the Chicago Cubs. This isn't the Dodgers. You're coming to a, a, a playoff race where the expectations are pretty reasonable, and, hey, it's a good chance for both these guys to succeed. 
both free agents at the end of the year. They got a lot to play for. Uh, and I, hey, both these guys, it could be an audition for next year to play for the Reds as well. Yeah, I, I listen, it, there's no reason to be pessimistic about it. I mean, the Reds, if you watch the Reds the past two weeks, they needed anything that they, that you could fi- possibly find. And and it just so happens that this this situation where there was some guys on the market that were that were available that were actually worthwhile, you know, uh, that could actually kind of plug and play. And you know, Harrison Bader's a guy that uh, that quite frankly is is you know Stuart Stuart Fairchild on steroids on steroids, right? Like I mean, you're 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 just automatically you know you're upgrading. It is that's point blank. You know you're getting an upgrade. Is it good enough? Is it going to be? Is it going to be able to kind of get us over that proverbial hump and, and get us into the postseason? I don't know. You know, I think that's probably where perhaps that you're talking about that small percentage of people that aren't going to be happy no matter what. I'm sure that will be their argument if it doesn't go the way of the Reds. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, nice job, way to go get those guys, get crawled. But here's the thing: it costs nothing. It costs nothing. It means nothing. I would actually argue that there's a small chance. There's a small chance that this weekend, maybe I'm overselling this. I don't know how much money the Reds make in, in, in home stands, but it wouldn't shock me if the Reds were to make their money back on what they just spent in the next two home stands that the, for the players they just got. Now, again, do that? Would I? Do I think that they? Do I think Harrison Bader and uh, Hunter Renfro are are bringing a bunch of people out in droves because we just signed them? Maybe not, but. I think it did rejuvenate the fan base a little bit, Nick. I think that it energized them enough to where, I, God's honest truth, I don't know how many more people are going to go down to the, the ballparks tomorrow and, and Saturday and Sunday, but it's going to be more because of these moves, 100%. Now, again, will it play out on the field? I don't know, but we can't sit here and play uh, Monday morning quarterback, per se, on this whole situation. You know, we asked for help. If you asked for help and you were begging this ownership to do something, they stepped up and they did something, and uh, and they would have done more. That's the part that's kind of, Refreshing. They would have done more, Nick, but unfortunately they had two waivers that went unnoticed uh, or unclaimed because they were already taken, and we can obviously guess who those are. But I have a quick question about uh, Clevenger because he's a guy that I think you'd have had to have in the books next year. I think it was about $10 million salary. Uh, that's not horrible. I mean, he's a guy that's had, uh, I don't say great numbers, but you could argue that he'd have been an upgrade as well. Your overall, I guess I know I'm throwing you on the spot here really quickly with Clevenger. I guess your overall thoughts on the fact that maybe the Reds just didn't want to handle that contract for next year. If I think if he was a free agent at the end of this year, they seems seems like they might have done it. I don't know. I don't know what the hangup was there with Clevenger. Yeah, you have to pay four million dollars as an option. Um, again, I'm not going to ever criticize the Reds for a player that just went all the way through waivers. Right. Every single contender, the Dodgers. They all had a chance to pick him up, and none of them did. So when you make it that far through, it's really hard to be like, yeah, Red should have got that guy, right? That, no, uh, I that That's kind of how I, I view it. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm not saying they should have taken him. I'm just wondering what the hangup was more than likely. I, I, I it obviously stems back to money, but you know, I oh, don't I, know if Clevenger has let me, baggage let me clar- or what. Let me clarify this. A $4 million buyout next year. So... He has a he has a mutual option. I think it's like like ten million or something like that. Ten million, yeah. So, um, but you'd you'd have to, if you didn't want him, you'd have to pay a four million dollar buyout. So, um, again, I mean, he went all the way through. I think he's pitched a little better than probably um, some of like his peripheral numbers would suggest. 
Um, I never really took a deep dive on him because I didn't really think he was a realistic option. Um, I was looking more at, at like the Giolito and, uh, and those types. Um, but yeah, I mean, he went all the way through waivers. So yeah, everyone passed on him. I understand. I just felt like if there was any guy that maybe you scratch your head about a little bit would have been him, but you're right. He did go all the way through. So it's not like there's this, uh, (laughs) it's not like there's this, you know, Let's get our pitchforks out, Nick. You know, and I can do that. You guys know how I am. I can get my pitchforks out. Um, all right. I, I I don't know kind of uh, what you expect in regards to Bader and where he's going to play. I, I I'd venture to say center field, but TJ Friedel's played center field so damn good that I don't know. It seems hard to take your guy that you've wrote you've, you've ride and died with all year long out of center field, but uh, the the numbers would suggest that you should do that. Do you think the Reds actually do that or no? I would be surprised if TJ Friedel's playing center field uh, tomorrow for the first game. I think Bader will be in center field. I think Friedel will be over in left. Friedel's played left. Remember, Friedel played left last year with, with Nixon Zell in center field. <laughs> as, as, as crazy as that sounds right now, um, I, I would I would expect for sure um, in, in that, that game number one uh, that you have uh, Bader in center field. All right, so you have just a rundown here for, for a podcast perspective. You had the Reds lineup tomorrow versus a left-handed pitcher. In your perspective, you're going to have leading off Bader and center field, Steer playing second base, Ellie at shortstop, Hunter Renfro DHing, Christian Encarnacion Strand playing first base at third base, uh, Marte and left field Friedel. You just put catcher because you probably could care less who's catching at this point, whether it's Maley or Stevenson, and then you have Fairchild and Wright. Yeah, I think there's also a chance because Sinzel stayed on the roster, at least to this point. I think he's going to stay on the roster because um, TJ Hopkins is still on the roster and surely he's going to be the guy that goes down for for Jake Fraley. Although actually they don't need to uh, replace him. But but nonetheless, I I feel pretty. um, I think Sinzel probably actually gets in this lineup since it's a doubleheader in left field. if he's still going to be on this roster, which I think he will be, unless the Reds decide to go with Casale and have a third catcher, which I do think there is a, a an argument to be made for that because it does give you more ability to uh, pinch it for Tyler Stevenson or Luke Maley. And when you have like some good left mat right matchups, that that could actually be valuable. Um, but yeah, the the one on the left that you're seeing that that's the versus right hand pitching. I just took that off Fangraphs, but it doesn't have Jake Fraley in there, so Jake Fraley we expect him to be activated tomorrow. I'm assuming the Reds are going to give Nick Martini still a little bit more of a leash against right-handed pitching. I can't imagine they're going to right. say, hey, thanks for those five great games. Uh, we're putting you on the bench. I'm not saying he has a long leash. Like, if he has two, or three, bad, two or three bad games, two or three offers, they'll probably say, yeah, we're going to get Renfro in there. But I, I think probably Martini's in there most days over Renfro for now. Uh, but um, it's probably on a day-by-day feel uh basis i think uh, as you're kind of uh, evaluating this going forward jake fraley you think he obviously platoons with with bader yeah pretty much i mean they'll be in different spots but yeah, i know I mean, but it, i'm saying like yeah it's gonna yeah. flip flop yeah not the position per se but just basically being in the lineup um yeah it seems that seems to be the right move i mean that certainly seems to be the right move whether or not like i said it works out i don't know the, the biggest concern at this point is like what do you get what are you getting out of uh, out of Jake Fraley? If we get the Jake Fraley of old, then we're, we're we're right back in business. If we get the Jake Fraley that's got a broken toe, 
and it, it's apparent that he has a broken toe, then, you know, then we're right back into a situation where, again, to be clear, the Renfro and the Bader move helps significantly. That's depth. We need depth. We got some, we got a little bit of depth here. And uh, we got a puncher's chance. I'm not saying we have a great chance, but we got a puncher's chance. We really do. Uh, I seen in the chat that we, is, I, I mentioned obviously splitting and or taking three or four and heaven forbid, hell, if we sweep the Cubs, that's a whole nother story. I seen someone in the chat saying that there's no way we could take two or two. Hey, listen, I, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that's what we want by any means, but let's not also act like a split isn't the end of the world. Um, we're one, we're one game back from a playoff spot right now. And have you looked at the, you, we've all done the schedule look, right? I mean, if you're a Reds fan and you've been paying attention, you've looked at the schedule in September. This isn't new news. Um, and again, I'm not rooting for that, Nick, but I'm not, I'm not going to cast that as the end of the world if they split with the Cubs. I think the Reds have the pitching advantage in all four games. I mean, Graham Ashcraft first and a guy making his second career start. Yes, I'm, they do. I'm going with Graham Ashcraft. Uh, ben Lively versus, we think it's going to be Shane Green in the second game of the doubleheader. Uh, Shane Green's the guy who's made this incredible comeback, but this will be his first appearance in the big leagues this year. I mean, maybe that's a toss-up, but it's not a clear advantage for the Cubs, right? Uh, Andrew Abbott versus Javier Assad. If it's the Abbott we've seen the last couple games, you know, it, it's it, it, it could be the Cubs, but... Right. If you get if you get anything close to the Andrew Abbott that we saw um for the first couple of months of the season, man, that's a huge advantage for the Reds. And then Brandon Williamson against a guy with a five and a half ERA and Jamison Talion. I mean, look, it's all right in front of here for the Reds. Um now, I mean, I, I, I think if we're being honest, the most realistic expectation is probably these two teams end up splitting. Uh, but you know, there probably be one of those games that kind of hangs in the balance that swings. And uh, yeah, I, mean, I think the Reds got a good chance this weekend. I, I, think, I think I'm probably honestly more confident in the Reds' chances to at least win two, maybe three, than like their overall chances to make the playoffs. Like, I think this is a sets up pretty well for the Reds this weekend. And they got a day off with a fresh bullpen with an extra guy they're going to add tomorrow. Yeah, one thing I want to add here really quickly for those that uh, care, shout out Bedfred Sportsbook, um, is it's even money tomorrow, straight up. Like you don't see that a whole lot in Major League Baseball. It's it's a it's a toss up, minus one ten, minus one ten on both sides. So, you know, again, I know the Cubs are hot. I get the Cubs are hot. They're playing really good baseball right now. But you know what? The tides always turn at some point. We've seen it. it this team has been a roller coaster all year long. It does feel like it. Maybe I'm. Maybe it's just the vibes. Maybe it's just the whole ad. You add two guys. You're starting to feel better about yourself. Maybe we're overthinking it. Maybe you guys can crush me later and say, "Oh, Trace bought the hype. He, he drank the Kool Aid." It just feels like this is the Reds' time to make a run a little bit. It uh, it definitely does. And uh, and now whether or not that works out in our favor, and at the end of the year that means that they made the postseason. I don't know, but it definitely feels like the Reds are going to start playing some better baseball. And you get a day off. You're at home. You got a four game set. As, as you mentioned, Nick, we got we got lucky. Is lucky the right word? We got lucky that we didn't catch the Cubs in a perfect rotation against the Reds. Um, so no, we didn't get lucky. The Cubs are Cubs are taking this series for granted because they could pitch Justin Steele on Sunday on normal rest, and they aren't. They aren't. They they they're not taking the Reds serious. So I hope the Reds go and smack them around all weekend, and then we can rub that in Reed Mouse's face on Monday. Yeah, how how saving Justin Steele for the Giants work out for you, bro?
Well, we like that. I mean, Nick, we got to be that, that. That's good for us. We wanted to save him for the Giants. We we're all about that. We think yeah. that that's a good move for the for the Win for the game. Cubs. Yeah, let's go. Let's let him go beat the Cubs or beat the Giants. I'm all for that. We'll sweep the Cubs and then they beat the Giants and then we'll just keep it moving. I think that. Uh, um, but 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 overall, um, I guess to kind of round out our points here on these two guys. Listen, it is it's a lottery. It's a it's a one. It's it's a, it's a sprint, right? It's a sprint. Doesn't mean you're automatically going to get the, the the player that's on the bat, back of the baseball card, um, but you might get lucky and one of these two guys gets scorching hot. And uh, Bader's a guy that can steal bags too, man. I mean, I just I hope he doesn't let me down. Hunter Renfro, I'll I'll let that be your guy. Harrison Bader, my kind of guy. I, I'm I'm higher on Harrison Bader's ability to help this team just because of the role that he can fill with the elite defense, crushes lefties. Renfro doesn't crush lefties as much as like Bader does. Renfro is a more balanced hitter, still probably a below average hitter. Um, and, and that's why I do still think Jake Fraley is really important because if you, if you look up and down, um, up and down uh, this lineup here, uh, I mean, Jake Fraley, even if he's like 90, 80% of himself, he's still probably a better option versus right-handed pitching than, than Renfro, um, than, than, uh, uh, than Bader, um, than Sinzel, than Fairchild, you know, whoever, whoever you want to fill in there. Um, I, I, uh, uh, he definitely, I think has, has even, even if he's not at hundred percent, it's still probably a better option, but I tell you what, I love this lineup against left-handed pitching. People might not, but I think if you really look at the numbers and you really dig into it and then you factor in the defense, I think this is a really solid, I think this is a, a, a almost a playoff caliber lineup, at least against left-handed pitching. I think it's right-handed pitching. I think it's a little suspect. I think the Reds is still going to probably struggle to score runs, but, uh, I don't think this is a lineup a left-handed pitcher is going to want to face. You know, Ned in the chat brings up an excellent point. He said that uh, CES might just overshadow everyone. You know, he's got the chance. He's he, 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 Of all the guys that we've been waiting on, CES is a guy that could do it, man. I mean, we've seen what he's done, obviously, at AAA, and that's AAA, and I know everybody scoffs at that. I know everybody's like, oh, well, that's AAA. That's down in Louisville. It doesn't count. I don't know, man. It should It should count for something. I mean, the dude was hitting home runs every other night. He's driving guys in every other night, going three for four. I, I know one thing. You can go down and look at some of the statistics for the Louisville Bats. Not everyone does that, Nick. <laughs> Not everyone does that. So to sit here and think that CES isn't capable of doing that in the big leagues, I'm, I'm going to tell you, don't hold your breath, man, because you might be wrong about that. I, I'm all I'm all for that take. I think CES has a chance to carry us, and that's the beautiful thing. You look it up and down this lineup right now really quickly, TJ Friedel's scaring me a little bit, Nick, if we're being completely honest. I feel like he's kind of regressed a little bit here in the last few weeks. I'm a little concerned about the ABs he's had. Spencer Steer, he's, he's been rock solid all year. Ellie De La Cruz, guy that can get red hot. And you feel like, you know, at some point he might be that two-week player he was when he first came up again. Uh, Nick Martini's only played five games, so it's hard to really say that uh, you know what you're going to get out of him. He's played out of his mind. Tyler Stevenson. Uh, Hill man, Luke Maley. We'll see what we get out of him. I'm not, I'm not uh, expecting a ton, but if we get something out of him, great. And then you got the, then you got CES, Hunter Renfro, Will Benson, and Noel V. Marte. Those are four names right there that I could argue that can carry as well. So, uh, we'll see. They're young. They got some veterans, Nick. 
And at this point, you can't you can't sit you can't sit there and look at yourself in the mirror and say you're, that your your franchise, your ownership group, your front office didn't try to help. And I think this also just takes some of the pressure off of some of these guys that all right, hey, we got some reinforcements. Uh, if guys need a day off, it's not like you know, we have to run everyone out every day because we have no one else. We're we're really the the bottom of the barrel here. And uh, one other interesting thing about. Hunter Renfro is he I think he's played five games at first base this year so you could get a little crazy I I, I, and uh you know if you need to DH someone you could play him at first base or you could even go really crazy and play CES at third base Renfro at first base to get a better lineup and I don't know if if sacrificing the defense outweighs whatever whoever else the player you're getting in is but that is another option that at least David Bell has and it's an option Two, if you get into a late game situation where you want to get into some pinch hitting, that might be more where you'd use it. Not, not maybe not start a game like that, but if hey, if you're down a couple runs and you know you're just trying to, to do anything you can to come back, you have the ability to say, hey, we can put CS at third, we can put Renfro at first, just to kind of get some pinch hit matchups, and it does give them a little bit more flexibility. All right, now to my really fun conversation with Soli of the No Laying Up podcast. All right, I am joined now by the one and only Solly from the No Laying Up podcast. Solly, it is so awesome to have you on here. How are you doing today? I'm great, man. I've been looking for an outlet for Reds thoughts. I've been a, a massive Reds fan my whole life. I've had an up and down relationship with baseball in general, mostly down over the last eight or nine years or so for a variety of reasons. But I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first person uh, to have discovered your guys' show this year and listened to it pretty regularly. The the big win streak in June brought a lot of people back into it. The pitch clocks brought a lot of people back into it. The shift bands brought a lot of people back into it. I'm back. I love the Cincinnati Reds. Love and hate them every single day. I'm 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 up and down. I need you in my ear to like bring me back to the one 162 games. Like you're the one. You're you are built for a 162 game season, and I need that almost every single day. Real quickly. Obviously, you are the host of the number one golf podcast in the United States, which is incredible. But how are you a big Reds fan? How did you uh, fall in love with the Reds or how did you become a Reds fan? So I was born in Charleston, West Virginia, and I lived in Columbus, Ohio, up through high school. Um, the, I was, I was whatever, born in 1986. I was four years old when the Reds won the World Series. My dad was a Reds fan. I was a huge Chris Sabo guy. Jose Rijo was my guy. I, I, I was obsessed with the Cincinnati Reds. I used to retype the box scores every day. I don't really know why, but that's what my I would do as a kid on our little typewriter. And I've just always loved them. And baseball, I played baseball growing up, and they were just my team even throughout all the disastrous years. They just gave you, always gave you enough to hope. 99, you know, was it, you know, right into Ken Griffey Jr. was enough to, you know, keep you engaged and then right into Great American Ballpark and then some really dark years. And then Jay Bruce and Joey Votto and them come along. And uh, I've been along for most of the ride, but the last few years, I, I, I've, you know, as you enter adulthood, it's been harder to follow. And I was traveling for a long time and it, uh, you know, some of the Reds' messaging hasn't been the best over the last couple of years, and a little insulting to fans. But uh, it's good to have some hope back in the uh, in the franchise. All right. Well, I want to ask you right off the rip because this news just broke. Uh, the Reds have added Harrison Bader and Hunter Renfro off of this crazy waiver wire at the eleventh hour. That a lot of us, even diehard baseball fans, didn't even know players of this caliber were even a possibility. What's your instant gut reaction to this news that literally just happened moments before we hit record? 
Look, I'm very, very excited about Bader and Renfro. I think they're great additions. I think initially it was kind of a little bummed at not getting any of the pitchers, but after a little time to digest it, it, was, it, it shouldn't take very much time to digest. It's very obvious. Like we couldn't have done better. Like the, those guys weren't available, right? There's no one that passed us that went to a contending team that we're especially worried about, I wouldn't say. Um, they addressed some needs. They needed some bodies. They needed some dumb bats. They needed some defense. It, it's a good day. It's a good sign, too, for 2024 and beyond, I think, because, you know, after this season, the Reds are going to be, by my calculation, sitting at, what, $45, $50 million maybe base before we even start uh, in terms of salary. Like, it's going to be time to spend some money, and their willingness to take on, even if it's just a little bit of money in the remaining part of this year, is a good sign, I think. All right. Well, Sully, I am really excited because you've been messaging me. We've been talking about some free agents for next year, and that's just so awesome. I'm so excited to talk about that with you. But before we get there, I want to ask you about this season. You hinted at it a little bit earlier. What has this season been like and, and meant to you as a Reds fan so far? Reds, they're going to be in a playoff race one game out-ish on September 1st. It's been incredible a year early, if if not two years early. I mean, it's nothing you guys haven't said. It's been a total surprise. I think it, um, baseball, you, you tend to remember the bad bounces and bad luck more than you do the good bounces and good luck. When they had that crazy hot streak early in the year, I was like, ah, man, I mean, this we've done this before. Like this, you know, this could come crashing down. Then you, it's like, man, they've won like 28 out of 40 games. They just kept spanning months and months. And you're like, is this for real? Is this for real? I think it was. And then they just got absolutely crushed by injuries and they just were not built to sustain that. And I can't fault the Reds for that at all. If they would have been, you know, some of the moves I've faulted them for the most over the years have been, you know, spending money, adding depth to teams that aren't going to be competitive and just kind of wasting it. And I don't blame them for coming into this season being like, hey, this probably isn't it. You know, you can look at the Will Myers deal and, and, and you know, that was lighting seven and a half million bucks on fire. But I don't know, for every Will Myers deal, there was a Will Benson deal that ended up working really well. And you kind of got to spread your, you know, spread your chips out on the roulette table a little bit. And they've had some hits. So it's been great. It's been a tough, tough, tough August. I've lost a lot of faith. I gained the faith. I've lost the faith. I've gained the faith. Uh, but man, it's it's so fun. It's so it's fun to be back and 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 recognize meaningful baseball again because it really has been. It, it's been some. You know, I know the Reds have been semi competitive over the last uh, you know several years at, at times, but I just haven't really been involved with it for a variety of reasons. And it's good to good to have baseball back. I can't tell you how much the pitch clock helps. I'm serious. Like I was one of the casualties of like, dude, I'll tune in like. I get really excited for the prospects. I get excited for like the the hope that comes. I would tune in for a lot of Jose Barrero strikeouts of just, you know, pop in. I just but I couldn't justify spending the time like, you know, three and a half hours watching a full baseball game. Now it's so digestible. It's way, way, way better. And I can't imagine going backwards. I like that you said that because I'm really excited about the pitch clock in the playoffs. And even if we, we all really hope the Reds are there, but even if the Reds aren't there, I think it's going to make casual fans or fans that aren't are fans of a team that doesn't make the playoffs so much more invested in the playoffs. Cause I can't tell you, I'm a guy who I love uh, every night to put on an old baseball game as I fall asleep. And you watch some of these games, just like, my God, this game, I was watching the Rockies uh, wild card tiebreaker game from 2007 randomly. And the game went like four and a half hours. It only went 12 innings. I was like, that game would have gone two and a half hours today. And they also didn't have the, the three batter minimum. So they were changing pitchers every other batter. And, I think it's going to make the playoffs a lot more exciting to the the I didn't even, wouldn't even say the casual fans, the fans that are, are fans of a team that don't make the playoffs. I'm really, really excited to see uh, what it looks like for that. 
Well, and one reason I've been especially curious is I cover a sport that is, you know, way behind the times, has always been behind the times on almost anything. Like, I, I read about changes made in baseball. I read about them, like, lifting, you know, copyright rules and things like that that have allowed new media to come about. And I'm like, and while I'm watching baseball have this enormous bounce back year, attendance is up 9%, whatever it is across the league. And I, you know, I'm curious as to like, you know, I want to see golf implement some of the things that baseball has tried and has, you know, taken some risks. And I think they're getting a payoff for it. And I, the more like you use cases you can kind of build, it helps us with our show to be like, hey, look at what baseball is doing. They're doing, in, you know, interviews on the field with guys are mic'd up during play. You know, they're totally, you know, pre-tacking baseballs in the minor leagues and all this stuff is, is uh, I don't know, it's point to see it kind of pay off has been a good thing. Yeah, as much as uh, Rod Manfred's done a lot of really, really bad things, he has actually really uh, knocked it out of the park, uh, for lack of a better pun uh, than that. All right, let's get to the, the the main point. The reason I know you want to come and talk with me a little bit, uh, 2024 free agents. You, you sent a list to me. We kind of went <laughs> back and forth. We've talked about it. Who are some guys you want to see the Reds target this offseason after, hopefully, a playoff run? Yeah, and I think it. Where we originally started talking about this shortly after the trade deadline, I think, and I, I, again, I don't really. I'm with you on a lot of the deadline stuff, especially now that these waivers have kind of fallen in our lap a little bit. It's like I, I don't know if this is the team to have gone all in. They could have maybe got a little better, but you know, I, I you got to have a little bit of faith that, like, hey, the dudes that do this for a living probably like did a cost benefit analysis of a lot of this stuff and. I don't know. Even a month later, who do you point out the trade deadline or like, oh, man, they got away with a, a really good deal. They're acquiring talent. I don't know if that's really out there. So as a fan, though, a little bit, I was kind of like, all right, I think that kind of turns eyes towards 2024. I don't know if this team has a, has what it takes to make the postseason. I still can't believe they're in it. I swear I thought we were dead like two days ago. And now I'm like, I cannot wait for tomorrow. The Cubs, the Cubs games. But I also want to um, I, I don't know. I, I'm extremely positive i'm hopeful for the the growth of a lot of these players but i also like i get the scent the sentiment from a lot of reds fans that like next year's kind of it's there it's automatic like it's just going to be there like 2024 is the year that's when it starts and i'm kind of looking around and i'm like all right the reds are 26th in the majors in defense right they are 23rd overall in uh, position player wins above replacement they're 21st in weighted runs created and 24th in era and I'm like, first of all, how the hell are we in a, bit of, in a wild card race? I don't know. But that's also to say, like, all right, this team needs to get better. I, I think it would be a it would be foolish to go into next year expecting a huge leap from Marte, expecting a huge leap from De La Cruz, expecting McLean to maintain his batting average on balls in play, to expect Christian Encarnacion Strand's strikeout to walk rate, incre- uh, you know, not be a problem. Expect Will Benson to have the same kind of year. Expect TJ Friedel to not, you know, he's kind of fallen off a little bit as the year has gone along. Waiting for all those things to line up would be a mistake because the Reds are so incredible. I can't remember a time where they've been so well positioned from a payroll standpoint to, uh, to re- I hate the word rebuild, but like rebuild the team. And I've looked around the free agents pool. I've made some spreadsheets. I've looked at, you know, what's going to be available. And I don't love what I'm seeing. But there are like a couple guys out there that I'm like, all right, I think the Reds would be substantially better team if they went after a couple guys. Now send a couple of those guys over to get your idea on costs. And I'm I'm wondering if that uh, stirred any thoughts in your mind. Yeah, no, I I, I love this uh, for sure. So uh, let's run through the the position players that that we had talked about, and I think you really you you nailed the 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 three uh, that probably are the top targets. 
Um, you had a Candelario, you had Jorge Soler and Adam Duvall. Um, and I, I put some estimates here. And again, I'm not great with estimates. It's hard. It's really hard to do this. Yeah. So what I did was the best they could do was I tried to find a comp from the last couple of years that was similar in age and similar in production. But again, it only takes one team to overpay for a guy that, that completely changes how an entire offseason go. I remember like the right before the lockout, the Texas Rangers went crazy throwing out contracts and some numbers that no one expected. And it completely changed the way that free agent class was was viewed and how other contracts, I think, after followed. So you could see something like that happen again. Or, hey, no one really wants to throw out as much money this offseason and some of these numbers come back down. Which I've had to make this case to my buddies, right? They're like, we have infielders. What, what are you intrigued about with Candelario? It's a lot of things. One, I think... Sorry to cut you off there, but I'm really excited about him because he addressed. I think a problem the Reds have is they're very platoony, right? You've made this point too of like, hey, Steer and, and McLean are fantastic players, but people probably don't realize how how wide their splits are between righty and lefty. Friedel, Benson, or Friedel, less so, oh, Fraley, Benson, a little bit of a problem we have there against lefties, which, you know, you can line them up in starting lineups and whatnot, but like we get taken advantage of late in ball games in terms of you when you're able to throw in some lefty relievers near, we end up with TJ Hopkins pinch hitting for Will Benson and things like that, that, that lead us into trouble. So Candelaria is a switch hitter hits lefties and righties equally and plays above average defense and is going to probably, I, he's approaching a four wins above replacement right now, which could be really, really pricey on the free agent market. That's what's really hard to figure out. Now is doing some fan graphs reading like, I remember from my day when I followed baseball closer, like it was four million bucks, four to five million bucks per win above replacement. Now the math is like nine million. Like it's crazy. I mean, it, uh, could we be talking about Candelario pulling down 20 million a year? And do I see the Reds doing it? No. But if you pull it in something like that in placement third base, all of a sudden you have so much more flexibility. Is Marte ready to go like right now? Pretty tough to say. Will he be ready next year? Maybe. I don't know. But there's other spots they need to fill, and I don't. I think they need to fill outfield. They need to fill catcher, and I don't see those availabilities in the free agent pool. You can. I'd be curious to get your insight there. But if you if you sign a big time third baseman like Candelario, who I, part of me thinks maybe he's a little undervalued in the in the in the market. I don't hear people talk about him as much as being you know this kind of huge player. But now you have options to go get a very serious catcher. Like I, I don't see any solution on the free agent market or within the farm system for a gaping hole at catcher. The Reds have one of the worst weighted runs created at catcher in the entire major leagues. You got to solve that problem eventually. Now you have like, I don't know, does an India Marte, I hate to even say trade Marte, but like India Marte for like a big time catcher start to make sense. And then you have a big time catcher, Candelario, Ellie De La Cruz, CES and McLean infield. Like, or maybe you don't trade both of those and you have one of those in the DH spot. That is where I think like the Reds could seriously get better. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not, but I'm I'm stuck on this Candelario thing. Yeah, I think Candelario is more of one of the players that would be your uh, and I probably should probably should have I probably should have gone in reverse order. It probably would be like my third or fourth option as I'm looking at this. I think there's other guys that that fit uh, a little bit better. I'm very hesitant on trading Marte. I know you I, are. I know, I know. I hear it. I'm the guy who I still... He looks the part. I, I know I, his numbers are horrible, but he does look the part. I, I think Marte has a higher ceiling than McLean. And I know like right okay. now people are like, are no. you serious, Nick? You're nuts. Matt McLean's like, should should be finishing second in the rookie of the year if he didn't get hurt. I just, I think Marte has, has such a high... He's still only 21, 21 years old. That's the thing that just 
man, take that part out because I knew that was going to turn you off. Like what? What I don't this the 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 DH is still new to the National League, right? And what the DH does is it gives you this flexibility. I was so happy when they called CES up. Some people were a little worried about where you're going to find playing time. And if you just look at what that DH functionality does. It, 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 it gets rid of depth. I don't know. You can't have too many good players, right? You cannot have too many good players, especially if you're going to be this platoony. You need to be able to have bats you can pull off the bench if they go to the lefty or even to stop them from preventing, you know, from going to go get the lefty, things like that. I'm not worried about playing time if you add like somebody like Candelario. I'm not worried about Marte getting at bats. You can DH him. You can DH Candelario. You can put him at first base. You can, you can do all kinds of things. I just want to flood the Reds with talent, right? And if you have a lot of talent in there. Now, all of a sudden, your options for trading prospects look a lot different, I think. They, they, I don't disagree with them not moving them to this point, but if you have a more stacked Major League team, now, all of a sudden, that landscape looks entirely different. Yeah, it's funny you say, as I, I'm with you 100%, never worry about too much playing time. I remember like, was it six weeks ago? Yeah. We're like, they have too many players. <laughs> like, like India has to sit on the bench. And and that was Marte wasn't even up yet. And now it's like, oh well, we we're like, we're we're having to dig off the waiver wire, which is great. Hey, we're glad they did it, but uh it, it's wild how quickly that can flip. I remember when when uh Mike Moustakis was coming back from injury in 2021 and Indy had submitted himself at second and Suarez was a third, but Suarez was really struggling and Kyle Farmer was playing to the greatest short. And everyone's like, how are you going to play all these guys? And then like it always sorts out and it and, you know, probably starting pitching death is probably where we should have started. Um, and, and you know, I, I, I just think like, again, it's such a unique year, like I said, of, hey, what what is we are trained as Reds fans to feel like spending money is a bad thing, right? And I think we end up like rooting for the Castellini's checkbooks more than we do the team sometimes. But like, hey, the, the Reds have shown appetite to go over a hundred million dollars in payroll. If that's the case, we're talking about having fifty million plus to spend, and they're probably not going. They're not going to need to blow it all in year one. It's going to get more expensive as the years go along and things like that. But I think all of a sudden a Sunny Gray and Candelario combination. If that costs you thirty-five million or less, maybe even forty million, what? Talk me out of that. Like, why wouldn't we w- want to do that? Well, it just depends on if if there's better options ahead. So we should probably jump to the other guys before we kind of answer that question. So the other guys, the other two guys you had listed, and I'll do these both at the same time because I think they're both interesting and both they they have huge pros and huge cons, and they're completely opposite. Jorge Soler. And then Adam Duvall. And the one thing before we go too much further that I really like about the players that you you sent to me, these are all guys that I'm at least expecting are going to be on short-term deals. I am very pro the Reds spending. I think the Reds should spend. I'm pro the Reds overpaying guys on short-term contracts. The thing that makes me nervous as a small market is you go out and you sign a guy to six, seven years, and he completely falls off the wagon, and you're stuck with it for year after year after year. That's where I think the Reds can get themselves into trouble, where they won't be able to dig themselves back out. You you sign you you sign uh, Adam Duvall to a two year twenty or thirty million dollar deal, even if he completely is Will Myers is himself in, in twenty twenty four. You're not on the hook for that much longer. But you go out and you sign a a guy to a seven year you know two hundred fifty million dollar deal. Boy, that's where you really stack up the risk. That that's the the thing I like about the guys you sent. That's and and that's you're exactly right. I'm not. I haven't mentioned the name Shohei Otani. I'm not. I'm not delusional on this front. I don't think the Reds are going to be 
and it, the Trey Turner, the Carlos Correa contract, like none of that's ever going to work in Cincinnati. And I'm fine with that. I'm not even sure those are good. You know, you very, very rarely do you see those deals pay off in any kind of way. And I don't think that's how the Reds are going to become a successful team. But at the same time, man, it's like if they just stand pat and try to come in with this youngster, you're going to miss one more window, right? I mean, you get six years of Ellie and McLean and all of this and like, this is going to be one of them that's been a great use of it. And if, you, if they burn next year without like adding to the talent, it's just going to be pretty frustrating. All right. So Soler and Duvall, any Reds fans that's followed me for a long time knows I've wanted the Reds to sign Adam Duvall like every <laughs> single offseason for the last however long it's been since he left Cincinnati. So it's really funny he's on there. But I actually like Soler more. I do too. And, and here's why I really like Soler. Over the last two years, a stat that I really like, expected weighted on base average. It's not a perfect stat. But especially for a guy like Jorge Soler, where his value is all offense, I think that 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 uh, it really is important to look at for him. He is, like, I think, the leader of that set of the last two years against left-handed pitching. Man, you put this guy as your DH, not a great fielder. But he could also play right field in Great American Ballpark. I legitimately think that guy could hit 40, 50 home runs and just be that absolute lefty masher when you have Benson, you yes. have Fraley, you have Ellie De La Cruz, who at this point is very much a a right going to hit right-handed pitching significantly better. I just think he balances out this lineup so well and could just be that that guy. He almost feels like the Nick Castellanos. Yep, that's that's where you know I I put Jorge Soler on there, and I don't want to sign him to play every day. It's going to be expensive. Like, no matter what, it's going to be, you know, I think he's, it sounds like he's going to be expensive if I was to guess. But I'm a big defense guy. Like, I, I, I think that, again, with this unique scenario of you can sign guys, even if you have to overpay for it, you can sign them to play specific roles, right? And I think he is a DH against left-handed pitching. I think he can, you know, he can't not play against right-handed pitching, but I think he's a DH that just provides a righty, power bat like the, the reds have a power deficiency um can it grow next year can ellie you know hit 35 home runs next year of course could ces start to pound the ball out of the ballpark of course but if you look at i mean just any objective baseball savant stats like the reds are down and slugging like they need they need some power i don't mind a big dumb bat like solaire is i call them big dumb bats of just like dudes that make you think they make that pitcher think about it a little bit more and i i think the reds have a lot of singles ish hitters right now and that i think he fits in it really well yeah you hope ces can also kind of be a little bit of that that uh fill that that gap of power but yeah i'm, I'm with you on that all right let's get to the pitchers the guy that, that you mentioned and i sent you a number and then i i saw a tweet that he's like leads the american I league ERA, and i'm like you know maybe might have been, <laughs> been a little low balling uh, uh sunny gray but he's such an interesting guy because he has like that super high injury risk. I actually had um, Eno Saris on an old podcast that I did. And Eno Saris has this really cool tool that um, uh, tries to uh, determine injury risk of a pitcher. And Sonny Gray was like number one on Ugh. the highest injury risk pitcher, which is why I think his con how much the team's going to give up, give for him is so hard to determine because again, it only takes one to say, Hey, we'll just take on all the risks because this guy has a chance to be one of the best pitchers in the sport. While most other teams are probably going to be like, yeah, we're, we're going to factor in how much we're going to pay based on our, you know, analysis of how um, high of a percentages that he gets hurt. But man, you, I would love for the Reds to add a veteran starting pitcher and Sunday Gray would be perfect. 
absolutely perfect in that role. But I, I tell you what, the Reds starting pitching going into next year looks really, really good. And you add one more on top of that, you have incredible depth. So we have Hunter Green, Graham Ashcraft, Andrew Abbott, Brandon Williamson. We have Connor Phillips, which we're expecting to be ready by, by next year. Um, we have Nick Lodolo. We have, who else do we have? We have Lyon Richardson in the mix. I mean, that that's like seven, eight guys that we feel pretty good about. And that's the most incredible thing about this year is when you talk about this year was supposed to be a year of trying to figure out who fits in what roles, the two biggest disappointments this year are Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo, and they're still probably the two most talented pitchers on the Reds' the Reds' uh, uh, pitching rotation going forward. But you had a veteran starter into that mix. Now you're having a really good pitcher start the year in AAA, or you're having a couple other guys probably jump into your bullpen. Your bullpen's becoming much, much bigger. Man, that's where you could really turn this into like that that 2020 team strength. Remember, Anthony DiSclefani got kicked out of that rotation because it was so good. 2012, I mean, that, that team got really lucky because they were just so blessed with health, but you were just so dominant one through five. That can, even if your offense doesn't produce, can carry you for long stretches of time. And that's where I've done this too, where it's like, oh man, you get green and Lodolo healthy and all this, like list those five names. I get really excited. And then also it's like, yeah, we're 24th in ERA, right? It's, you know, we can think of the best of versions of all those players. And if it works out, if it all hits great, that's fantastic. We've also seen Luke Weaver get a shocking amount of starts this year. We've seen Ben Lively get a lot of starts. We've started Brett Kennedy. We've started a, a, a Lion Richardson that has been fine, but is not ready to be a, a, a regular major league starter. Andrew Abbott seems to have hit a wall here. Brandon Williamson's been awesome. Like we, we've seen, we, there's positives and negatives with everyone. That's all to say, man, it'd be great to have five good options constantly, right? If if we start the year, do we want to say that Brandon Williamson and Andrew Abbott are going to throw 200 innings next year? Probably not, right? Does it make more sense to for you know one of them to spend some time in the bullpen? You know, at, at some point during the year, potentially. That that's a, again back to like having like. I'd rather have six really good pitchers than all of a sudden one injury and we've got four, right? And that's where again we got the what, what else is the money going to be? What's what else is the money for? You know, what, why wouldn't what, the twenty million bucks going to spend a you know it's going to burn a hole in your pocket? It's still going to put you at seventy million dollars payroll before the Votto decisions, which we can talk about that as well. But I don't know. I I think that again our brains are trained not to think that that's where the Reds are going to improve, but I think there's opportunities there to to add some depth, to be able to withstand injuries, right? They're going to happen. They 100% are going to happen. Maybe not to the extent they've happened this year, but uh, otherwise, man, I, I, I again, I, I find myself not wanting to root for the Castellini's to save money. Well, and you look at the Dodgers, and obviously the Dodgers are an unfair comparison because they have so much more revenue coming in, but the Dodgers were able to sustain significant injuries. Yes. Tommy John surgery to Walker Bueller, Tony Gonsolin, and Dustin May this year because they had major league caliber pitchers starting the year at AAA. They had guys that they threw into their bullpen and then moved back into the rotation, kind of went back and forth. Like it's not a big deal if Brandon Williamson has to start the year in the bullpen. Like that's not a problem. That's a good that's a that's a good that's a great problem. If Graham Ashcraft has to be moved to the bullpen, that's not a problem. Those are all good good things that can happen and, and these guys can adjust they can go back and forth if they have to go down to triple a they might get get pissed off but hey guess what when they come back up they'll probably be more fired up so i, I just view all that stuff as really really good issues to have and it's also it just goes back to like dude we've had a 
really insanely good, I don't want to call it luck, but like good fortune with the rookies, right? They've they've achieved a lot, and I just think it's like baseball has a way of just leveling you out, right? It, it just, it, 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 we all want to project leaps for everyone and almost never, it, it never happens to everyone, right? It, it's impossible for us as fans to sit here and say like, yeah, Jose, I thought Jose Barrera was going to be the dude. Like, I think kind of we all did, right? And, uh, you know, it, 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 a couple years later, Nick Senzel, we all thought was going to be something different than what's turned out to be. And, uh, you know, again, I, I keep coming back to like stacking more talent. All of a sudden, if they don't turn out, you're not behind the eight ball. Prospects don't pan out. I think people like to say that as like a dig on people who appreciate prospects. And I say, I agree with you. They don't. That's why I want as many of them as you possibly can. For sure. Because you know they're not going to hit. And the Reds are going to, if they're are going to be successful, it is going to be through prospect development. We It's going to be through six years of cheap, controllable, young, exciting players, right? You can't, again, you can't have too many of those guys as well. I'm not necessarily advocating for trading all those guys away. Just that if you start filling some gaps with major league free agents, all of a sudden, some of those guys become options to be moved. India decision is, you know, something that I, I don't even feel comfortable weighing in on, right? I mean, if from a baseball perspective, I don't think he fits, but like from a locker room perspective, how much does that matter it does seem to matter and i'm not a huge like locker room guy i i tend to fall back on the numbers but uh i mean this team kind of up goes with him and something i've not heard a lot of discussion on is like which again still kind of informs 2024 is how much was the the injury holding him back production wise before he officially hit the, the il right and is he can he return to being a four-win player like he was as a rookie like i i be surprised if he couldn't, right? I mean, uh, you, I don't see a ton to make me think. His, his plate discipline hasn't changed greatly. Like, I think it, I at least hope we can chalk a little bit of his struggles up this year to to the injury, I would think. The biggest thing with Jonathan India this offseason is not, I think, should you trade him, should you not trade him? How much is he, you're getting back in return? For sure. That, that's what, what I don't know. I mean, I can make an absolute rock-solid case that, yeah, trade Jonathan India... But what do you get? I don't. I don't know what you're getting back. Like, I'm not trading Jonathan India just for the hell of it. Like, the, there's no point in that. You could Jonathan India is a valuable player, even if you say, "Hey, sorry, Jonathan India, we're moving you to left field because that fits our team better." Like, he's under Red's control. Yeah, right. That's where the DH plays in too, man. Like, it's like you can cycle these guys. They. I was loving that when we were healthy and we had that rotation. Like, all right, dude, Ellie, today's your day off, man. Like. That's not a bad thing. Again, where McLean's at short, India's at second. Like you're you're taking a day off today. Like rotating that is is not a. It's a, again, it's a 162 game season. Like it's a really, really, really long time. And uh, again, that's just a really, really good problem to have. I, I'm not I'm not for just shipping guys out. But if you if you can if a package of Jonathan India and a prospect returns you a major league catcher that can catch 70 percent of the time, I'd be very interested in that because again, that's like. That's like probably number one gap I'd like filled. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I got to think more on the, the catcher and and what potential trade targets might even be out there for catcher. Uh, but that's definitely something I think the Reds should look at. I do think the Reds have a lot of potential good options in the minor leagues, but the problem is they're quite a ways away at this point. Two things on that. The only team I've looked at that I'm like, I'm again, who the hell knows what these guys are, are going to do tomorrow, much less next year, this offseason. The Angels kind of have two guys. I mean, they have yeah, Logan Ohapi or Hop. I don't know how to say it exactly. Their number one prospect coming up. And they have Matt Tice, who's a, above average, you know, a major league catcher. That is an option that probably wouldn't cost that much. And he'd be under control for a long time. That's the only one that I was like, 
again, I'm a big defense guy. I, I don't think you can have Tyler Stevenson behind the plate for another year. I think they have a big decision coming up when it comes to him. I don't think they're going to be anxious to get rid of him, but his bat has not carried a quite poor defensive record. Also, what's the timeline for these robotic umps? Uh, that might change things. Like Tyler Stevenson's frame rate is one of the worst in Major League Baseball, but if that skill goes away, you could maybe talk me into it, uh, you know, him sticking around. But uh, by every, you know, statistical metric, the Reds are just getting crushed at, at, at catcher. And man, if you are going to be a poor defender, you have to carry a huge bat. Like, and Spencer Steer, like, barely clears that hurdle to, for me. Of He's above average bat of well below average glove. And again, that stuff adds up over 162 games. See, the Reds have Ellie, they have Matt McLean. Luke Maley's technically above average defender. I think Marte has the potential for it. Friedel's above average, and everyone else on the Reds loses runs defensively. And a lot of those dudes do not carry big enough bats to to you know to offset a lot of those. In my mind, the Red, if you think back on those 2010, 2012 Reds, those teams those teams were they could pick it from time to time. And that again, really at those were ninety win seasons. Just I can't quit Tyler Stevenson. I maybe I'm just <laughs> drinking the Kool Aid. I just I, I keep thinking like, all right, he's got a full off season. We're knock on wood. He's going to be healthy. He wasn't healthy last year. You know who who can you send Tyler Stevenson to boot camp with for three weeks to really just work on the off uh, during the off season on on his catching and all those things. Oh, I don't know. I'd love to see Luke Maley back though. I love Luke Maley. He's been a great addition. And I, I love I I love get I get sucked into the local ties and how he's a local guy and how he takes really pride in wearing the Cincinnati Reds uniform. Big and golfer too. Things. Big golfer. He loves golf. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. I actually that's, he's the only guy on the Reds that I know actually and like we'll we'll, uh, we'll communicate with from time to time. Okay good. I'm glad I didn't say anything bad. About him. No <laughs> I, I I I genuinely I mean, and you want to talk about you know you know team MVPs this year. I mean I know like any statistical measure he's not up there, but. He filled a huge, huge void for the Reds this year. Um, just one of the many guys that we've talked about this a lot on the, on our show about how there's just so many guys that have filled these small roles for for periods of time that really have kept the Reds into this race into September. And it's it's as cliche as it sounds. This has really been one of the most like full team. Yeah, every man uh, has helped this this team at some point this year. I come back to on Stevenson is we're I think we're seeing some a fair amount of balls in play regression this year and he's he's got a 328 batting average on balls in play but that's still below his career average like you look at I think we all like to think back to 2021 when he you know walked at a decent clip and hit for a fair amount of power and yeah he hit 333 on balls in play that year and in over 400 last year and only 183 plate appearances but I don't know man it just I I I don't it's been a lot of plate appearances. It's been over a thousand now. And, you know, he's been a, you know, he's a negative, almost a half win player this year. Like it's, it's, I don't know how you count on that. Go. I don't know how you go into the offseason and not think that is a clear spot. We should get better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's tough. I, I honestly, I would not want to be the guy that has to decide Tyler Stevenson's fate no. because I feel like you, you can say, all right, we're going to ride with Tyler Stevenson. You look like a complete idiot in, in June, 2024. Or you say, hey, we're just going to give up on Tyler Stevenson. We trade him for not much. And then he goes somewhere and absolutely takes off next year. And you'll look like an idiot that way. I really feel like it could go uh, uh, either way with them. All right. Let's end on this, Solly. You had mentioned it. What's your thoughts on what the Reds should do with Joey Votto? Oh, uh, let me start this with Joey Votto is my favorite professional athlete ever. 
any sport, any full stop. I mean, you just don't see dudes that, especially if we're rooting for a small market team, you don't see dudes like just fully dedicate, you know, to a franchise and to a city the way he has given us so many thrilling moments. His, his, you know, whatever you want to call it in 2021 was like just a total thrill ride of somebody that just reinvented their approach to hitting that was already a hall of famer and decided to learn how to launch the ball up in the air. And just, I love Joey Votto. I, I, I would feel really weird if this was it. Like if whatever that ground out he had was his last at bat as a red before he went on the IL, that just wouldn't feel right. I, I think I didn't really know until a week ago that he had a $7 million buyout. I don't think I realized that. So really it's a $13 million decision to keep him for next year. How many seats, how many tickets does Joey sell at this point? I think that's probably a factor. Do you want to send him on a, you know, on a, you know, one last go around the league and do all the celebrations and all that of all people and again, I don't want to like put this on Joey as if this means anything for me to say, but like of all people to like say like, hey, would you take like a really small deal to come back for a year? I would classify Joey as being one of the people to do that. I know the players union doesn't necessarily encourage those things and whatnot, but I don't know what the market is really going to be like for him next year. He wants to play in Cincinnati. I don't think the Reds need to pick up the remaining $13 million to pay him. If they're already going to pay him seven. Does he take a deal for three to go one more go around and be a bench bat and DH and, and, and hit a little bit off right-handers? I truly don't know. I'm sure he doesn't want to position himself to say that right now. I go, like, oh, yeah, sure, just pay me league men. I'm sure there's going to be some negotiation in it, but I would be a, at least a little – I don't know if it makes sense for 2024 Reds, but I'd be at least a little sad for him not to be there. You know, what what's what do you think? I I think almost what you said is, is spot on. I just – you can't justify $13 million, uh, for a guy that's going to be 40 years old, um, Nelson Cruz signed for 1 million. Okay. This last, last off. I mean, I know Joey's probably better than Nelson Cruz, but $12 million better at that, that, you know, type of age. I, I just, I don't think you can do it. I think you have to be real. Um, I think if, you know, he is willing to do that type of, of role, then yeah, I mean, absolutely. Why, why wouldn't you consider that, you know, depending on, um, you know how how he looks. I guess this this off season and and all that. But the thing that I think we have to consider at this point, let's say Joey Votto, what we saw the first like you know three or four weeks that he he came back. Let's say he is closer to that yeah. and he could do that maybe one more year. How much of twenty twenty four is he going to be able to stay healthy? Like that's that's and that's not really it's not fair, but it is also the realistic reality of a player at that age is they just don't stay healthy because anyone at that age, their bodies just don't hold up. Again, I go back to our earlier part of the conversation though, to say like, Hey, I don't want him to pick up the remaining 13 million. If that means you're not going to make other moves, but if that money is just going to sit there, otherwise like just spend it. Like I, I don't, again, I don't, there is not a salary cap here. There is an amount that the Castellanis aren't going to spend. I agree. But like if they end up at a $60 million payroll next year and don't bring Votto back, that's gonna be pretty annoying. Like that, that, that part, you know, at least have the option. I mean, Mustakis is burning a hole in our payroll this year. And like, you, you can't do anything about it once the, the, you know, once it's signed and it's a sunk cost, but I don't know. It, it's, he was a negative 0.8 war player last year and he's 0.1 this year. The, the problem I see with Votto, he looks like he's cheating on pitches. Like he looks like he's guessing. Um, he was, uh, to my memory, the best pitch recognizer I can remember as a red, and I know that doesn't last forever, and I know your your body at age 40 just doesn't perform the same way, and he probably feels the need to do that. But 
Uh, I mean, he's striking out 28% of the time now. Again, unfair to compare him to 2017, but his strikeout rate used to be 12%. Like it's it's significantly changed, and that's there's plenty of signs to say it is probably over. Yet, man, I mean, he hit 13 home runs in 51 games this year. It's just I don't know. I'm back and forth on it every day. I'll have a different answer for you tomorrow. But I, I, I it's a weird year to do. Let me let me phrase it this way: Is there is there value you think in Joey spending another year with Ellie and Marte and CES talking hitting? That's oh. Sh- probably sure. worth something right uh, dollar wise i don't know what but like when i watch when i see ellie and joey looking at an uh, ipad together in the dugout my heart is is full like it's very full like you want to learn about hitting learn it from that guy and like ellie ellie man i mean I, he that's a different question right i totally agree with you his floor is a above average major league player between his defense base running and when he does connect power but man that's the strikeout rate to walk rate and we've seen some good signs of of walking lately but can i can you off the top of your head can you give me a good example to give me hope of a 21 year old that has flipped a rate that's that bad into something that's way more manageable i know it's it's putting you on the spot you can think about it you can come back to me next week but i i want some like hope on something that you know it's because i want to say out loud and i don't have the data to back this up i want to say that's something that doesn't correct itself that quickly Again, I know he's 21, but you can get Ellie De La Cruz out pretty easily with good pitches. All right. What what is Ellie at right now? Do you know that off the top strikeout rate? I think it's like 36%. Um I, I beat up fan graphs, man. This is like my homepage. Let's see. He's at 34.7 right now and walking almost 7%. Okay. All right. So yeah, I, I type in any player's name, Google automatically adds fan graphs to it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But all right, so so Ronald Acuna Jr. 2018 25%, 2019 26%, 2020 obviously shorter so probably not a f- completely fair was actually 30%. He's jumped his he got it down to 26 23.6 in 21, 23.6 in 22 all the way down to 11.9 Jesus. in 2023. And uh that was a guy that came up at age 20, so super young. You just you have to remember Ellie De La Cruz should be in like double a right now that's where it, it, it I, again if he's striking out at this rate at the end of maybe 2024 into 2025 then that's where i think it's a oh man it is a real problem but right now i just have a hard time really going too far on in the deep end because he shouldn't be here right now he has no he has no business being here right now he just got he just flew through the majors so or through the minors so quickly to get here that that it's i think it's kind of uh 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 set some unreal expectations but the one thing about led of the cruise is there's been times where he's looked awful completely lost at the plate and then you go look at his numbers and you're like the guy's still hitting league average and he looks completely lost and you know he's not going to look completely lost forever i just think pitchers have made their adjustments to Ellie for sure with, with so many of the Reds players. I mean, you know, Spencer steer, Matt McLean, you know, Will Benson is even of lately that they've made their adjustments. Now it's their turn to make the adjustments back. So if we get into next year, late into the year and those adjustments haven't come, they haven't, you know, corrected themselves. Then that's where I would get concerned. But right now I I don't really have any concern. Well, I, I guess my, 
my concern there is that I, I don't have this handy, but I remember seeing somebody tweet about this and saying, like, Ellie's got one of the worst attack angles. Is that what you would call it? Or his, his swing path is one of the worst in baseball or the low, right? He's, he's hitting the ball into the ground, right? Where with somebody with his power, everything you would want to be teaching them is how to lift the, lift the ball up, right? So between that and, and a plate discipline increase, is that, is that too much to try to overhaul someone? Like, he is wasting power and potential by hitting the ball into the ground too much and not launching the ball up. And like, I don't know enough about technique and, and teaching all that stuff, but that's enough to be like, Hey, are we going to try to figure that out at the major league level? Like, is that, a, is that a possibility? Is that something that he is working on? I, um, that's where it, it just gets into a lot of questions of, I, I don't know what to bank on. Now the ceiling's so incredibly high. We saw, we saw, we saw a glimpse of the ceiling at the major league level, which is absurd. It was really, really fun, but I'm a big, big, big on base guy. Like I don't, I, I lived in Chicago in 2008 and I lived right next to Wrigley field and I went to a ton of games and watched that Cubs team. And I just watched their plate discipline. and was like, Oh dude, you can't beat like the Reds can't beat this team. Like they just, that in, I, you know, quickly the Reds turned into that, like in 2010 to my shock, 2010, 2012, big on base team. And I just get a little anxious looking at some of these on base rates. And again, I know they're young and shouldn't be here. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm venting to you about it. Cause I know you'll take me back to back to even to say like, Hey, just calm down, give them some time. And you're right. I know you are. Shohei Otani was striking out 29.6 of the time in 2021. And, and like Will Benson's strikeout rate doesn't bother me because it feels very earned. It's a lot of two, two, three, two, and he walks at a very, very, very good rate and a good enough rate to offset that. Now Ellie's strikeout to walk rates, like almost six to one. I think that's, that's a problem, right? If we don't see improvement there, that's going to be a big, big problem. Whereas will is closer to like less than three to one, I think so. Again, one of those things that weighs out over a long period of time. But I, I guess I still struggle to understand why Will bats at the bottom of the lineup. I know Bill, you know, Bill James batting order doesn't matter thing. I I think he's a fantastic table setter. I think he's a really difficult out. And I think there's a lot of easy outs near the top of the Reds order right now. I think it's all mental. I think it's all one hundred percent mental. I think the Reds had Will Benson come up this year. Start the season on the big league roster was awful in April and I don't think it I don't think he was necessarily doing anything wrong I don't think there was some massive uh swing change or massive approach change that he made I think it was just a complete mental thing he had to get over that mental hurdle they sent him down to Louisville it took him a while at Louisville to get going but once he did he was great and then he came back up and hit hit the floor running I think the Reds said hey we're leaving this guy at the bottom of the lineup we don't care about anything else because they're worried if they move him up to the top they're going to put too much pressure on him. And there was also a lot of numbers. My, my good friend Clay Snowden pointed this out. There was a lot of numbers at, at the peak of Will Benson's um, season where he was his numbers were just through the roof that some of his like batted balls in play, some of his expected weighted on base, all those kind of things. He was due for some regression. So I think the Reds were a little nervous to put a guy who struggled with the mental side of the game yep. at the top of the lineup when these natural regression things happen, which they actually have over the last like three weeks. He's been more of an average player. Uh, and I think that's why they didn't move him over to the top. I don't think it was necessarily in terms of like, well, we're putting him at the bottom because that's the best for the team. It was, yep. I think it was the best for him. That makes sense. I think if you look though, from when he was called back up the, what the third week in May, whatever it was, I mean, through, through like through the end of August, even through this kind of downturn in August, he's hitting 289, 389, 522, 142 weighted runs, runs created. That's best on the team. Right. I mean, that's just, you guys have talked plenty about him. He's not an unsung hero at this point, but man, his offensive production has been very real, very real. 29% strikeout rate to 14% walk rate. 
that 14% walk rate's enormous. Like that, that is what is a difference maker, a true difference maker in a lineup. And I, I don't, I'm a huge Will Benson fan. Hate that he's a platoon guy. I'd like to see him get a few more. I think he's looked a lot better against lefties, the, the few opportunities he's gotten. But it's so consistent over his minor league numbers. Uh, you know, what he, I, I don't know. I guess I struggle with thinking like if you put him near the top of the lineup, his approach changes. His approach, if you look through his minor league career, it looks like it's always been this consistent. I know it was a horrible first month, but um, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't even matter, but I, it feels like he is a table setter and Ellie's most certainly not. I mean, Ellie's over that same time, Ellie's down to a 297 on base right now, which again, I know we're seeing what we have with him right now, but he is an out machine that I wonder would if he would do better at the bottom of the lineup. Yeah, I think I think it's just a complete risk analysis of of these guys. I think Will I think Will Benson, I would say, and I think David Bell, I think Nick Kroll, I think everyone would say, hey, Will Benson has been our best player against right-handed pitching uh this season. And maybe Jake Fraley's kind of in that conversation, but Jake Fraley's obviously been hurt. But I think it's a matter of we're worried about the risk of moving up to the top, messing up what he's got going. It doesn't the the payoff of batting a guy second or seventh. They're just it really doesn't create that many more runs, and when we're risk analysis running it, it doesn't the, the payoff isn't there uh, for us. I think eventually he probably does find his way up to the top. I just think this year they said they're stuck in and we're batting at the bottom of the lineup, and I see why they're doing it. I, I I don't I don't know I don't have an issue with that, but I'm also a guy that just doesn't really get too upset about lineups unless I have 2013 Zach Kozart batting second. That's about the only time I get upset. I, I was less honed in on it when the when we were fully healthy, and it was like, dude, it's great to have another bat at the bottom of the lineup. But now that it's like, all right, dude, I mean, between Marte, CES, and, and Ellie, like that's there's just a lot of outs and Frida lately. It's a lot of outs happening near the top of that lineup. But um, I don't know. We'll see what we have over this last month, man. It's it's tomorrow. I'm not prepared for tomorrow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's man. gonna. I I just I. I I hate that time period in baseball where it feels like everything's about to go wrong. And it's felt like that for a month. And I still don't know how they're in it. I don't understand it. But I have a, a bad feeling uh, of this weekend. But I'm, I'm, I'm a more pessimistic fan than you probably are. I'm sure they're going to split this weekend against the Cubs. I'm sure it's going to be a split. It's going to be no one's happy. No one's really. It's like you kind of, well, we're still alive. We're still moving along. I feel like that's what's going to happen. I hope, I man. It would be awesome to just beat the crap out of the Cubs this weekend. Uh, but we'll see. Hey, again, I I know people love to, to hate on this point, but man, if I would have told you in February, oh, March, that, that yep. this this series was happening, you would have laughed at me. You would have said, you idiot. There's no chance. So I'm just going to try to enjoy it. I'm going to probably be sick to my stomach. I don't think it's as bad as like 2013. Like that wild card game in 2013, I was like ill. Oh. watching that i was just like disgusted but it's different because this feels like the beginning where that felt like this is man almost the end so i, I that's what kind of makes it a little easier to to watch these these next couple weeks but we'll Good. see this team has somehow found a way all year long after they've felt like up oh, that's probably it they're probably <laughs> dead they've somehow found a way to keep it trucking along so let's see if they can do it again your 2013 my 2012 game five like it it set me back in life. I think that it, like I don't know. I'm a West Virginia football fan, so you know, 2007 Pitt game is nothing will ever beat losing that game. You know, 28 point favorites at home, getting ready to go to the national championship. But that was the second worst loss of of my sports life, and it 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 
it still like hurts a little bit to think about. And that team went on to go win the World Series, and we won the first two games in San Francisco, came home and lost all three. The Buster Posey Grand Slam, like I still see it so vividly. And um, it, it, does, it feels like we're on borrowed time, or it feels like we're on uh, house money, I guess you could say. Like it, it's not, if they end up five games back, six games back, I'm not going to view this season any differently other than to say like, man, there's some very, very, very serious hope and I hope they capitalize on it. Um, I have faith. I know you have faith in Nick Crawl. I I tend to have faith in him as well. I don't think he's like a genius that every movie he's going to make is going to work. Like I I would preach patience with people to say like, yeah, there might be a Will Myers whiff. Like that's okay. But like you know, getting the bargains that he's gotten on some of these dudes is uh, yeah, it's it's enough to be excited about. All right. Well, just joining us onto our recording, I believe he's somewhere downtown Cincinnati. It is the one and only Trace Fowler gracing our presence. I think Trace has a question or two here for Solly. Solly, I heard you were coming on the podcast. Nick, uh, Nick, obviously not much of a golf guy, which is fine. That's fine. No big deal. You know, I mean, I'm not going to kill him for it. No big, you know, I'm not going to bring that up. But he's like, yeah, I got this guy coming on named Solly. I was like, what? <laughs> not, to, not to make you sound like you're a bigger deal than you are, Solly, but I was like, this guy is coming up. No offense, just, uh, I'm at some steak and shake or whatever the hell I am down here in Short Vine trying to hang up signs for something something called the Bash on Short Vine. You can look it up. But anyway, Solly, um, he's going to probably have to cut all this out. I just want to say thank you for coming on here. I really <laughs> for grinding. We're trying to figure it out as we go. You've mastered it. I think you're a Miami guy maybe off the top of my head. I don't know if that's a fact, but I, I think that's your origin story. I looked you long uh, up a long time ago. I just want to say thank you for supporting us. And the last thing I'm going to say is uh, I really I feel for Keegan Bradley. I, 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 I really feel for Keegan Bradley. I know JT is probably a popular pick. I get that. I understand that. And I'm glad to see my main man, Ricky Fowler, back. The only reason I like him, maybe we share a last name. That might be the only reason I like him. But I've been following him for so long that I just wanted to ask you, do you, did you ever think that Ricky was actually going to come back? I had a, a small hope. I was watching my man on like the ESPN Plus because that's all you could watch him on for like the longest time. He was not on the main broadcast. You had to dig. You had to dig in the deep, deep, deep pools of the internet. Did you think Ricky Fowler was going to come back? Yes or no? I, I'd like to say yes, but you never do know when it when it disappears. For some guys, you don't know if it's coming back. He's a massive, massive talent that you know. Once you evolve into marriage and and fatherhood, like golf can take a different turn. Hunter Mahan never came back from, you know, entering marriage and, 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 and being a father. And I'm really excited for Rick. He's the nicest possible dude. You could imagine he's like, people think he's this like super outgoing, crazy dude. He's not that at all. He's just like a really kind hearted, good person. And I'm excited. His hard work has been rewarded because uh, he's, he's the best. He's a, truly one of the best guys out there. So are you ever in town much anymore or no? You, when was your last time you've been back to the, uh, the, the great state of Ohio or Southwest Ohio at that? It's been a long, long time. Haven't been back in quite some time. It's uh, not a lot of direct, not a lot of direct uh, flights from from Jacksonville, as you might imagine. But uh, yeah, don't make it back as as much as I are should. You, are you uh, are you Memorial guy? Do you go back for that at all? I I did. I I've not been able to make it work for like four years in a row for a variety of reasons. But I, I want to. There's always like a wedding. I I I grew up going to that tournament. I lived five minutes from there growing up, and I it's like how what got me into golf really. So I. I want to make it back. It just, for some reason, never seems to work. All right, well, do me a favor. Promise me this. If the Reds make the playoffs and you do have to go to the Memorial and you have an extra day, then you have to play one round of golf with me. That's it. Just one round. That's it. That's all I'm asking for. You got it. Because the Reds are going to make the playoffs. I don't know if they got this guy. He's a master. His name's, his name's, he is a master, but his name's uh, Harrison Bader. Um, And he's going to take us to the postseason. 
Hunter Renfro, he's a cherry on top. That's great. Cleveland can have everybody else because they need them. We don't need them, of course. We don't need them. Cleveland needs them. We don't need them. But it'd been nice if they left a few for us. But that's whatever. Cleveland can have them. But just so you know, I really do appreciate you coming on this podcast. I got to go do other things. Nick's going to have to edit all this out. But I, I, I was not going to let the day go by without saying, Sully, you're the man. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And uh, Nick, is, uh, Nick is a grinder. So very much appreciated, man. You bet, bud. Appreciate it, man. Well, Sully, this has been incredible. You've been so gracious with your time. If you ever get the itch to talk some Reds baseball, hit me up anytime. We'll do it. We'll do it maybe some 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 in the offseason. Thank you for this. I've needed to get a lot of this off my chest. Like I <laughs> again, my buddies are probably sick of our text thread. But uh, man, I'm excited for these these waiver pickups and some meaningful September baseball. Awesome. Well, uh, best of luck to you. And and I don't need to say best of luck to your show. It's the number one golf podcast in the United States. Make sure you check it out. Uh, and uh, we'll talk again soon, Solly. Thanks, Nick. All right, let's get you caught up on all of the Reds minor league action from Thursday night. Louisville, they won 5-4 over Omaha. Bats now 66-61 and on the season. And it was a great start for Connor Phillips. He's been struggling of late. But he was magnificent on Thursday night. Phillips, six innings pitched, three hits, no runs, only one walk, and six strikeouts. Phillips had really been struggling with his command. So really great to see him ending his season or getting close to ending his season on a high note. Casey Legamina, another interesting pitcher in action. One inning pitched, three hits, one run, no walks, no strikeouts. Jose Barrera was 0 for 3. But one other offensive standout, guy I haven't mentioned a lot this year, Jacob Herdeby. He was 3-for-5 with a double and a stolen base. And don't look now, but Herdeby is hitting 326 with a 971 OPS and 36 stolen bases in 98 games between Chattanooga and Louisville this season. All right, to double-A, Chattanooga, they won 7-1 over Pensacola. Lookout's incredible season continues. They're now 67 and 55 on the season as they get ready for the playoffs. Of course, they already clinched the first half. They'll start the playoffs in a couple weeks. Julian Aguiar, he was fantastic. The starting pitcher uh, who started the year in Dayton, now with Chattanooga. Seven innings pitched, four hits, one run, no walks, and 12 strikeouts. Aguiar has a 2.54 ERA. In 23 starts this season between Dayton and Chattanooga. Blake Dunn was 0 for 3, but did walk and stole his 49th base of the season. Reese Hines was 1 for 4. Tyler Callahan hit his first home run at double A. He's off to a great start in Chattanooga, hitting 419 with an OPS over 1,200 in eight games. Dayton Dragons, they got a much needed win. They won 2 1 over Great Lakes. To improve to 62 and 61 on the year. Dragons now three and a half back in the Midwest League East race. Elimination number is down to seven, so they are almost in must win mode every night to have any chance. Jose Acuna got the start, three innings pitch, two hits, no runs, two walks, struck out six batters in just three innings. Acuna has a 3.50 ERA in 97 and two thirds innings with Dayton this season. Edwin Arroyo. Hit his 12th home run of the year. Sal Stewart was 2 for 4. Hector Rodriguez 0 for 4. And then Carlos Jorge did not play. The Daytona Tortugas, they split a doubleheader uh, with Dundee. They lost game 1, 6 to 4, but they won game 2, 2 to 1. On the entire day, Cam Collier was 1 for 5. 
Uh, Victor Acosta over three, but did steal his 11th bag of the season. And then Alan Serta, he hit his first home run with Daytona. He's missed a lot of time this year with injury, but good to see him get his first home run with the Tortugas. All right, Reds, huge four-game series with the Chicago Cubs. A doubleheader today, game one at 1.10 p.m. It will be on not only Bally Sports Ohio, but also uh, Major League Baseball Network, MLB Network, uh, if you are out of town. It'll be Graham Ashcraft against lefty Jordan Wicks. Ashcraft has been outstanding of late, as you know. A 2.39 ERA in 11 starts since June 30th. But Ashcraft does have a career ERA over 10 against the Cubs. His only start this year against the Cubs, he allowed three earned runs in five innings at Wrigley back on May 28th. Patrick Wisdom, a guy who's not normally in the lineup against right-handed pitching, actually has two career home runs against Ashcraft. But one of the Cubs table setters, Nico Horner, he is just one for 10. For the Cubs, Jordan Wicks in game one. He threw uh, five innings pitched, only allowed one earned run with one walk and nine strikeouts in his MLB debut against the Pirates last Saturday. Wicks is the Cubs' number 10-ranked prospect, who was the number 21 overall draft pick back in 2021. There are no no official announcement for starting pitchers in Game 2. Game 2 will be at 640, but Ben Lively seems to be the most likely for the Reds possibly with the Reds using an opener as they did in his last start. Of course, Lively gave up the 13 earned runs in Chicago right before he went on the IL. Uh, But he did look really, really good in relief. uh, Five and a third innings um, against the Diamondbacks in the Reds' lone win back on Saturday. For the Cubs, it will likely be Shane Green. You might remember him as a really quality reliever back in 2019 and 2020. But uh, Green was really bad in 21 and 22. Green has revitalized his career. He signed a minor league deal with the Cubs, and they have been using him as a starter. He has not made a start since 2016. All right. Well, this is going to be a very exciting series for the Reds against the Cubs. Reds fans, I just would encourage you, Just enjoy this weekend. Man, the Reds are playing meaningful baseball in September. I know it might be cliche. I know people might get tired of it. Um, I know that at times this season, our expectations really skyrocketed. But just remember, man, if we would have told anyone, anyone, the Reds would be playing meaningful baseball in September, y'all would have laughed at our face back in April, May, even into June. Uh, so I'm really excited about the series. There's a lot of teams, a lot of teams like the New York Yankees, the New York Mets, the San Diego Padres, the St. Louis Cardinals who thought, hey, we'll be playing meaningful baseball in September, but they aren't. The Reds are, though, so enjoy this series, and hopefully the Reds can uh, uh, find a way to beat around the Cubs. That would just be awesome. If you like what we're doing here at Chatterbox Reds, please leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to this podcast. That kind of stuff really helps it out. We really appreciate everyone in your support. And then I will be live around 9 p.m. after Game 2. We won't be going live after Game 1, just after Game 2 on Chatterbox Sports on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe there. Hit the bell up in the top right corner so you have notifications into your phone whenever we go live. Trace is planning on going to both games. If you see him, 
Say hi to him at the ballpark. Trace will be trying to join the show if he's able to get on uh, via his phone. But I've got a really special guest, my good friend Craig Sandlin. Uh, great Reds fan. Really excited to have him on uh, joining me talking about the games. And hopefully, hopefully, maybe, possibly a Red sweep. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, I hope you have a fantastic Friday. Hope that you have an even better weekend. If you're able to get down to any of these games at Great America Ballpark this weekend, please do it. Take advantage of this. And as always, go Reds.